participate in your freedom. We thank you for the cross. We sang to you, Lord. We sang the goodness of God that he set us free. For who the Son sets free is free indeed. And we declare our freedom in Christ. We thank your Holy Spirit for being amongst us. You are the teacher. Have your way tonight. Thank you, Father, for loving us. You call us family. I lift up the name of Jesus. That's above every name. Every situation, every circumstance, he is above all names. He is above all names. The name above every name. We honor you, Lord. This is your day. This is your hour. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You can sit. You can be seated. Welcome. God bless you all. Quick announcement for everyone. Please, next week, December 4, next Sunday, we're not here. Um, we've got an event on. You can blame. <coughs> anyway, um, I won't throw them under the bus. But um, So next Sunday, we are not on. So do not come. If you come, you'll be praying by yourself. The following week is this, so the 4th of December, which is next Sunday, we're not on, but we're back on Wednesday. On the, on the 11th of December, guys, whoever's kids are in the play, they're doing a, a Christmas play. If your kids are involved, they want to do a rehearsal on the 11th of December, which is the following Sunday at 2.30, 3 o'clock. Be here 3 o'clock, please. Speak to Annalise and Rita. And then obviously the Christmas play um, will be on the De December the 18th. So next week we're not on. The week after we're back on, the kids are going to do rehearsals at 3 o'clock. And then the following week, they're going to do the play. And I think we're having a meal on one of those weeks. We'll let you know. Everyone got that sorted? Amen. And we'll put it on Facebook, I think. They'll put it on Facebook and on the app or whatever. Um, so welcome. Everyone good? Beautiful day, isn't it? That's why no one's here at the beach. But we went, no condemnation for those who are not here. If you watch this later tomorrow, and that, you know, I'm not having a go on anybody. I know I'm only joking, everyone relax. All right. Who's been enjoying the messages that the Lord's been bringing through here on Wednesdays and Sundays? Who's better, Sundays or Wednesdays? I'm joking, everyone. <laughs> They'll say, yeah, Sunday, the one that Dorian preached. <laughs> I'm joking. It's interesting to know that the, the Holy Spirit's taking us on a road and it's sometimes a little bit uncomfortable to share messages that aren't, you know, in, in some cases a little bit contradicting to what we know. And sometimes God's taken us a direction because he's interested in leading us. So the Bible says the Holy Spirit will come and lead you and guide you into all truth, not into everyone else's truth or everyone else's consensus. Yeah, everyone says something's well. Everyone believes that, so we should believe it. Well, hang on. And someone said to me once, you know, for thousands of years we've believed this. I go, well, you're wrong. You know, it's like that story of a lady that, you know, it was, it's, it was Thanksgiving in America uh, last couple of days, and they eat turkeys, and the story goes that they had a Thanksgiving dinner. And they ate the dinner, and they said, mate, you make the best turkey. Hey, what's your secret? And she said, well, I don't know. I said, we chopped the leg off the turkey, we put it in the pan. Um, maybe the chopping of the leg is, is the reason why the turkey tastes different. So I'm not too sure. So she rings her mum, mum, 
you know how turkey's so good, you taught me how to make the turkey? Because yeah, he goes, why is it so nice? Is it because we chopped the leg off? She goes, I don't know, my mum taught me that. Maybe it is. So let me find out. So she rings her mum, old lady by now, and says, um, what's, the, what's the secret of our turkey dinner? Why is it so good? Is it because we chopped the leg off? She goes, no, I didn't have a pan big enough to fit the turkey, so I just chopped the leg off. And then she learnt that and passed on generation to generation, not even asking why they did that. That's tradition. That's believing in something that just gets passed on without any questioning. And sometimes we do that in the, in the church. You know, auntie's tabuli is better than um, Carolyn's tabuli, but you know, they can find it out later. But either way, some people put um, cucumbers in the tabuli. I don't know why they do that. That's not of God. Anyway, we won't go. That's sacrilegious, I reckon. But don't mix things up. But last week we shared about the widow. And for many years I read that and thought that's what Jesus is doing. He's watching us, what we're doing, you know, in the treasury. And I've heard it preached and I've heard it taught that the widow gave all of what she had, but the rich gave out of their abundance. And Jesus says, look, that widow gave more than the rich because they gave out of their abundance, out of their excess. But she gave all she had and she gave her livelihood. And we said, we're going to do the same. And if you put it in context, Jesus was very angry that they took that poor widow's money. Is there scriptures, and we shared this last, scriptures that we give sacrificially? Of course it is. Our whole life is the Lord's. But in this context, it wasn't that um, Jesus was impressed with what they were teaching. Uh, what she, she, he was not angry at the old lady. He was angry at the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the scribes. And we proved that by going through three different gospels, put the whole picture together, and he was angry that they were going to steal her house next. And it was a teaching that if you honor God, love God, you better give it all. But it was actually manipulating people to and, and, and robbing people. And religion will do that. They'll rob you to your core. And today I want to share, go a little bit deeper in this, in this subject about, and I want to go from, um, are we sons that serve? Sons and daughters meaning, are we children of God that serve him out of a sonship? Or do we just serve him to get our sonship? In other words, do I do something to get approval or do I do it because I'm already approved? Nothing worse than a little kid that tries to earn the parents' love and all their life they try and do what's right to get their parents' love. And the parents love them, but this kid for some reason thinks that he's not loved. And it's a hard place to be when you're trying to earn acceptance. I often say that if you belong, you'll become. If you can belong, you'll become wherever God wants you to be. But if I'm trying to belong, it's a hard road. And religion will do that. False teaching will do that. I often say people that are trying to earn God's love is like someone running on a treadmill for three hours. And then when he finishes, he hasn't gone anywhere. He's still in the same spot. He's done a few Ks. As you can see, I do a lot of treadmill running. I run past the treadmill. <laughs> but it is. That's what religion does. Religion puts you on an exercise bike and you're pedaling for hours and going nowhere. It's... In other words, you're trying to obtain something you already have or who you are. The problem is you don't believe. And obviously, um, different upbringings and different lifestyles. And, you know, it's easy to give up. You know, God's promised me something. I've believed for it. I've fasted. I've done all these things and I've hit a wall and I give up because it's easy to give up because you've hit that wall. And you think, well, this is, this is my a lot in life. This is my cross to bear. This is who I am, but it's not who you are. Just because you hit a roadblock or hit a wall doesn't mean 
God, the Holy Ghost, will break that wall down and get you to the other side. You know, Jesus got, but you know, you had the multitude cheering his name, Hosea and the, Hosanna in the highest, you're the king of the Jews. He fed, you know, 5,000 just men. They estimate that when Jesus fed the, with the loaves and the fish, the Bible says he fed 5,000 just men. So they, they estimate there could have been 15,000 people there with women and children. That's no mean feat. And Jesus had the 72 disciples. Then he had the 12. Then he ended up on his own with one just there. He could have said, it's over. I've got to the cross. I've did miracles and my best friends have betrayed me. One's stole me for 30 pieces of silver. The other's just done a runner when it got tough. One of them even denied me. And you can think it's hit a roadblock, but God says, no, that's not. But God, everyone say, but God. He'll get you through to the other side, amen. But the, the problem today is that what do we believe today? So I'm going to share a bit of a story. I'm going to read uh, this parable in Luke 17. It's not even a parable, it's a story. Jesus told, and then we'll talk about this. This is a pretty hard scripture to, to, to understand in the beginning because it, it seems in its own setting. Remember, we always teach read before and after the event. Don't pull a scripture out of a setting and say, look, this is what Jesus is saying, but he's just told a three, four chapter story, getting the whole picture. You know, have you ever walked into a conversation halfway through and you think you know what they're talking about and you got an opinion on that? Hey, girls, you be, uh, not girls, but I'm going to get in trouble today. It's Christmas. But have you got involved in a conversation and then you put your two cents worth in, they were looking at you, you go, what's this like on about? This is, it's not what we're talking about. And sometimes we do that with the scripture. That's how cults start. So let's go to Luke 17, 7. Is it up behind me? Because I've got the old King James. In which of you have having a servant plowing? Stop. Let's go back. <laughs> Let me get back. Stay there. Stay there. I just want to read something. Can we go to the, the verse before it? Like the chapter before, like chapter one, the verse one. I didn't want to go there, but I'm going there. AJ. No good? No, I'll do it from here. Jesus is speaking here, and I want you to, to, to hear what he's got to say because he's talking about here about a man. Oh, have we got it? No. Verse 1. He says, Jesus, um, let's go to verse. Suppose someone has a servant. Is this seven, isn't it? He said to him, you have faith as a... Sorry, hit this one. So the Lord was talking here. He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed or as a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would, and it would obey. Before this, he's talking about if your brother sins against you seven times, keep forgiving him. And the disciple says, increase our faith. <laughs> So, you know, Peter had a problem with forgiving his brother. If someone sins against you and you forgive him and he does it again, can you, do you have to forgive him again? He goes, yeah, 70 times 7. In other words, every time someone sins against you, forgive him. And here he's, before this, he's saying the same thing. 
He says it will increase our faith. He goes, hang on, I don't need to increase your faith. All you need is a faith as small as a mustard seed. And you can speak to that mulberry tree. And the next verse, please. Thanks, Chris. And which of you having a servant plowing and tending the sheep will say to, say to him, when he has come in from the field, come out once and sit down and eat. But he will not. Rather, he'd say to him, prepare something for, for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drank. And afterwards, you will eat and drink. Does he, th does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded of him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what we, was our duty to do. If you read that in that setting, in that context, he's saying here, a servant is working for a master in the field. And just because he's done all the things he's meant to do and he's finished for the day, he's just not going to sit down and eat. You make me food to eat now. You work for me. If you read it in that context, he's actually, a, sounds like a pretty cruel thing to do. Wait till I eat and then you can eat. And he says to the disciples, you do likewise. And if you read that in this context, it's saying you are an unprofitable servant. And, you know, when we read that in that sense, you could say it this way. I've heard this preach that you are of, doesn't matter what you think and do. You just serve God and no matter what is the outcome. And you've got no value. But do we know the heart of Jesus? Is that what Jesus, is that what he's trying to really say? Because if you read the chapters before it, he talks about what Jesus was doing, coming to seek and save the lost. If you read it in its, just in its own setting like that, it's pretty harsh. You work, don't eat, wait till you feed me, then eat, and then you know what? You have no value. That's how it's portrayed. But it's not what Jesus is saying. If you have a look at what Jesus said to his disciples, he's talking to the, to the disciples. What did, he, what did he tell Peter? He says, you're the rock. On this rock I build my church. He was saying, I'm the rock, but on this rock of revelation, Peter, you're a pillar of the church, feeding my sheep. And on this revelation, I'll build my church. What was he saying to Peter? He says, but when you were young, you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you get old, they're going to carry you by the hand. He was talking about his death. What about the apostle Paul? His name was Saul. And he said, go, Ananias, go and touch uh, Saul. He's in Damascus. He goes, hang on, that guy's locking us all up. He's killing us. He's putting us in jail. He goes, no, no, no. He's my servant. And I want you to go and let pray for him. But he already said, he's going to be my servant to the Gentiles. And he's going to know how much he has to suffer for my namesake. Imagine that resume. In other words, what he was saying, he, he wasn't saying you're unprofitable. In other words, you have no value. He's saying, do not serve the kingdom of God for a profit. You're not here to make money. You're not here to be rewarded for things you should be doing. What he was actually saying is, you don't merchandise the gospel. In other words, you're here to serve the master, just like I am serving my father. If you read before it, in 15, he talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son going out. And what was Jesus doing? going and seeking, saving those who were lost. In other words, you might be saying, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm just a humble Christian sitting in the community. Listen, the gospel, the kingdom of God that you're a part of, that Jesus paid his price, paid his life for, and shed his blood for you to be redeemed, is that you could do likewise. In other words, you can't say, what's in it for me? If you get asked to do something by the Lord, you go, what's in it for me? In other words, I won't do it unless there's something in it for me. Are you with me? What he's saying here to the disciples, there's a man working. He's using an analogy. He's saying, you're serving the kingdom of God. You do likewise what I'm doing. In other words, Jesus never rested on this earth. 
Look at this. He is the Prince of Peace, is he not? So this parable is very hard to understand if you take it out of its setting, but if you put it back into the context, he's actually saying, because, I mean, where does Jesus say ever in the Bible that you're unworthy and you're unprofitable and you don't deserve nothing? Nowhere. What he was trying to tell us here is that when you serve the kingdom of God, do it out of a heart of servanthood. But he goes a step further later on because he says, now you're, a, you're, longer a, a friend, you're no longer a servant, but you're a friend. Later on he says, now, now you are sons. In other words, he's trying to build a picture here that when you work, when you go, or Jesus, when he was talking, look at this. He says this in Luke 22 when he's doing the communion table. He broke bread. He said, this is the Passover bread. I've longed to eat this Passover bread with you. And look what he says. But I won't eat of this again until the kingdom is established. Next verse. He lifts up the wine. says, I won't drink of this again, the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God. Again. In other words, what Jesus was saying is like that servant in the, in the field. I'm not here to be party time. I'm not here that I've done it all. You know what he was saying? I'm about my father's business to go and seek and save the lost out there. And I'm not here to get a reward from you or anyone. Remember when he rode on the donkey? Oh, he's the king of the Jews. And they crucified him two weeks later. What was he saying? He goes, I'm not here to get rewards from this earth. Even though there are rewards, I'm here to serve my father. And I won't eat. In other words, I won't sit and eat after I've fulfilled my obligation to the Father. In other words, when I go to the cross of Calvary, I will have rest when I sit at the right hand of the Father and establish the kingdom. That's a good place to say amen. That's what he's trying to say in this context. Because if he's saying that we're unworthy, unprofitable, what we're saying is there's a gospel being preached and we all fell for it, is that God is a genie in the bottle and then he's going to give you everything you want and you're going to be promoted and you're going to be a superstar, celebrity, you're going to get whatever you want and there's no pain involved. In that. No, that's not the gospel. I don't read that anywhere in the whole New Testament. I read suffering. I read being persecuted. I'm not saying your lot in life is, is suffering. We've, we've spoken about this. What I'm saying is if you speak truth, they're going to hate you. There's a moron at the moment out there who is the prophet for all the world leaders who denies God, but he's a prophet. Work that one out. They call him a prophet. All the heads of state look at this guy. And he was saying that there's too many people on the earth and we're going to have cyborgs doing a lot of the work that people are. He's talking all this garbage. And then he says, and there is no God above the cloud. We worship the cloud. The, the cloud is God. And then a guy who doesn't believe in God, who doesn't, and they're talking about all this stuff, and then he brings Jesus, and we're going to prove to you that Jesus is fake news. And all these imbeciles believe this guy. They call him the prophet. He doesn't believe in God, but he's a prophet. And he brings Jesus in. It's an interesting, he didn't bring anyone else in but Jesus. Why? It's an antichrist spirit. They attack no one but Christians. Why? Because truth. The darkness hates the light. The Bible says it in John chapter 1. So Jesus said, I won't eat of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God. In other words, if you put that in the picture, what did Jesus come to do on earth? To be crowned the king? He was king before he even got crowned. What did Jesus do when God said, this is my beloved son, in him I'm well pleased? Nothing. He hadn't done nothing yet. But he understood his sonship. He understood who he was in the Father. Are you with me? I write down here that if you still look at Christianity as, as a religion, then you're not in the family. Christianity is a family, not a religion. Our Father in heaven, 
birthed us from the Holy Spirit. If we, if we don't see ourselves as part of a family, then we'll see ourselves as servants in a religion system, no matter how good your intentions are. That's what they did to the, the widow. They would have said things like, if you really love God, give all your money to the church, to the temple. And she did. She loved God. And she was, the Bible says she gave her last penny, her livelihood. In other words, she had nothing left. She's going home to die because she got no food. And he says, but be wary of those teachers. They devour widows' houses. In other words, you know what? If you truly love God, give your house. She wasn't giving it to God. They were stealing it. Are you with me? We are sons and daughters with a servant's heart. I don't serve God. I don't do this. I don't do nothing for God to prove my point. He's redeemed me. I'm his son. You can't take it away from me. I don't care what you think about me, but I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I do this because I want to serve my father in heaven. Whether I have or don't have, it does not concern me one bit. People say, oh, you'll never do that. People say that. I go, man, I served God when I had, and I served God when I didn't have. I served God when I had $120,000 Merc, and I served God when I lost everything, my house, my car, I didn't have money even to buy groceries. I still served him. Well, did I like it? <laughs> no chance. Was it hard? Absolutely. But I knew enough to know I'm not denying the one that gave me life. That's why I'll keep doing. And the day I sit and eat is the day I get into his presence. Are you with me? Luke 15, one says that, that um, they drew near to him, unto him, all the publicans and sinners for to, he for to hear from him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. In other words, if Jesus was calling us unprofitable servants, think about this for a second. Yet the sinners flocked to Jesus. It was the religious people that didn't like him. The people that had their world already established. The people that thought they knew the law. Are you seeing a picture of this? The unprofitable servant, if you put it in this, this King James, and they all say the same thing. But basically he's saying, you don't come into the kingdom of God and treat it like a business. You come into the family and you serve the father in the family business. Isn't that good? That we know we're a loving father. How hard? That's what I said, if, I, if I can prove my love, if I try to prove my love for you guys, how much of that do I have to do to you accept it? Some might say, yeah, no. Some say, oh, a bit more. Some say, look, ah, he said that funny enough. He made a joke about vegans. Sorry, vegans. I do it every week, buddy. I never came back. Sorry. Not what goes in your mouth that defiles you, what comes out of your mouth. So I apologize. And that scripture there with reading, he, Jesus has a way of throwing things in there that's upset the apple cart, so to speak. Because to understand that, you got to read chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and go all the way through to Luke, and he hasn't changed the subject. He's speaking of what his mandate was to do, why he was doing it, and what you need to do. It's interesting. You know, I'll write this down. He came to seek and save the lost because he was going to pass on this to his disciples at the time. He was teaching them to become serving sons in like manner as himself because he was going to go to the Father. He was saying, you want to be like me? You want to be like me? They're worried about who's going to sit on his right-hand side and left-hand side. <laughs> he says, that's not my job. You're willing to drink the cup I'm about to drink, but you will drink it. Isn't it interesting that we perceive it from the wrong angle? There's a story... 
that I learned years ago, and it was really, it's a, when it comes to, let's say, whatever you do for God, let's say you give money, let's say you give your time, let's say you give your effort. Now, we know that you don't need to hear a sermon about helping the poor and the widows, do we? Or the less fortunate. That's just common. If you need a sermon for that, then you need to check your heart. Bible says, why say to your brother, I'll pray for you when you could help them? Someone comes for a need. You say, you know, I'll pray for you, bro. But you could actually help them in that need. Your prayers are not valid. So we know that. When it comes to money, it's the most perverted thing in the body of Christ, but it's just a commodity in, like everything else in this world. It just has a stronghold on people. Talk about sowing and reaping a lot. You've heard that, you know, I said this last week. As a man sows, he reaps. True. If you give, he'll give it back to you. Press down, shaken, and runneth over. All these scriptures that don't even talk about money, but they use that to teach you to give. Someone said to me, you preach stuff that preachers don't preach because no one will ever give again. I said, I preach truth. Whether you give or not, it's not my problem. See, we're not, someone said to me once, they manipulated people and gave the money to the poor. You still manipulated it. But you helped all these people, but you still manipulated it. See, God doesn't need tricks. God needs to give you the need. Are you willing to serve him in that need? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? If I can trick you to give me a dollar to help someone, you know, when I was in Brazil, and you see what Brazil means, like it's, it's, we've got poverty here, but not like over there. And you go to one place, this is bad. Then you go to another suburb and it was worse than that one. And I go, that's paradise compared to that place. And it just gets worse and worse. And I couldn't believe how generous they were to us. So my mindset when I went there was, if I went to a poor area here and say, I want to talk about Jesus, they go, oh, Jesus, what Jesus, what God, get out. That's my perception. But you go there and they're longing for life. What? I didn't realize where we were until where uh, Merv was there filming and there we're going from house to house. Me and Rabs is in one house. I mean, we all lost each other. No translators. Don't Just running from house, praying for people and that. Then I looked down, I saw half the people have got anklet bracelets on. You know, the, the ones that, uh, when, the, what do they call them? Anklet, ankle bracelets, you know, the crims, you know. You know, I mean, you know what we're talking about. Anyway, no one else does. <laughs> I'm joking, I don't know nothing. But neither am I. But I saw them on their legs, I'm thinking, where are we? And the guy goes, you don't know where you are, do you? I said, no idea, I'm up in the top of my life here. Yeah, there's murderers, rapists, and kidnappers, and all. And I went, let's get out of here. We love you, but bye. <laughs> but there was no hint of that until I saw all the, everyone had anchor. And this guy's building a house, and he's got like the stick, like see this, the, the camera stand? That thick, and he's trying to nail it and put it together, and his wife was pregnant, he's building a house, and I go, look at the timber. He's gone and scavenged all the timber he could find, offcuts and tarps and signs. They're putting signs up, like billboard signs, as walls. I guarantee you, I don't care how stingy you think you are. If I took you to Brazil, you would take off your shoes just to give it to them. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what financial problem you've got. I don't care. You'd go there and you think, mate, I'm a millionaire compared to these people. Your heart longs just to help them out. That's, whatever you could do, you would, you, you would do for them. That's the heart of God for people. What reward? Remember a guy preaching in the, in the back of the Amazon? He goes, no one comes here. I go, why? Because it's 
too dangerous and there's no offerings. They don't get paid to go out there. You've got to pay your own way to get out there. He would go out there. And they trusted him and heard the word of the gospel because he went out there. And no one else would come. See, that's what he's trying to say in this parable. That your job here is that you've been taught, you know what, give to God, he'll give it back to you. Press down straight. He will bless you. Listen to me. God blesses his children because you're his children, not because there's a, there's a box you've got to tick. Sowing and reaping is a valid type of faith. Tithing is a valid type of faith. Offering, it's valid. Please don't misunderstand me. But if you base it on the law of tithe and the law of giving, you are just coming to him with a formula. And there's no blessing in a formula. There's only a blessing in relationships. Story about a man who had an acreage, 100,000 acres. And he was only using, he was a farmer. And all these kids, he had six sons. And they all worked with him in the farm. And he gets a knock on the door. And there's a man that comes. He goes, listen, I have a family. I have no house. I have no money. But I see that only half your land is being used for the farming. Let me plow the land, cut the trees down, dig it all up. You provide the seed to me. I'll clear up. I'll supply my labor, my, my wife and my family, my boys. And let me share in the crop. They call them sharecroppers. It's very common in the old, old days, especially in farming area. And the owner of the land, who's got all the land, owns the land. But then he says to the guy, no worries. And they work out a percentage. So this man goes and digs and he chops trees down and he fixes all up. He sows, he waters. And then when the harvest comes, he gets a percentage of the harvest. The farmer that owns the land does exactly the same thing. He's got six sons and they plow the land, they do everything. When it comes to eat on the table, the father comes and he spreads out the food. All his sons come in and they sit down on the table. Does he say to his kids, listen, because you drove the tractor, you can have the mashed potatoes, let's, let's flip it. The Eljanna with the chicken and the kafta and the hamishu with the bully. But because of you, John Daniel, you, you only watered the garden, you only get the mashed potatoes and the, um, and the labni. Would you do that? Or does the kids of the father eat off the table of grace freely? I can't hear. So it's not according to their work that they ate. It's according to the relationship they have with the father. In other words, a loving father does not not give you dinner. Me, if my mama said, that's it, go to bed without dinner, I'd be wrapped. I hated dinner. I hated the food. Oh, I just like, give me some chips and some cheese and some toast. Okay. Right now, if there was no more food, I'd live on bread and water. I'd love it. I'm very easy. I know it doesn't look like that, but that's true. Believe it by faith. But they would not feed you according to what you did. But the other guy, who is the sharecropper, is doing exactly the same thing as the owner. He's still sowing seed. They're still farming the land. They're still watering the land. They're doing all the things they're meant to do, sowing and reaping, and they get a harvest. But guess what? They'll never eat off the farmer's table because they're not part of the family. He can never own the land because it's not his. All he can do is share in the crop. See, that's where the church is. That's the two types of the church. One that thinks I'll give to God, he'll give me back. And wherever I give, I'll get. So I'm living off what I do. And the other one says, I'll just live off grace because my father owns everything. I'm trying to get you to understand that money is no different than anything you own in life. It's all his. He gave it all to us. So whatever I give God, one dollar or one million dollars, it's the motive behind it. You know, I often say to people that if you... What is, this? Okay. 
people come out of different lifestyles and backgrounds. For me, for many years, when I come out of a lifestyle, I was scared of having lack. Even though there was no issue in my finances, there was a fear of not having enough to pay a bill or fear of not providing because I grew up in that environment where there was never enough. And it was because of bad decisions. So subconsciously, I didn't know how much it affected me until I grew up and got married. And there was a part of me that had to die to that because I had to learn this. That's why I teach a lot of this stuff because God broke the poverty mentality out of my heart. Because poverty doesn't mean I got or I haven't got. It's in your heart. In other words, I work, I run a business, I do all that. But that's not. But the, the job is not my provider. God is my provider. I have to learn that everything I have is through grace through God. Everything I have today, everything you have today is through the grace of God. People say, oh, that's not true. Yeah, let him take the oxygen away. See if you can breathe. Everything is by grace. But my prosperity, where I'm going with that is based on my stewardship of what God's given me. Say, so you need to hear from God for yourself. Some people say to me, I don't hear from God. I don't know what to give. I said, well, there's a, there's a formula in the, there's a, sorry, a pattern in the Bible called 10%. Now people get all hooked up on the tithe, 10%. You'll be there. Someone gets to me, oh, you give 10% to your church. I said, no. I give 90. He went, what? I said, I'm joking. But I said, but hang on, stop. I said, you're having a go at me for giving 10% to the church who I trust to go and do things for the poor and pay the bills so I can sit and hear the word of God. And you gave 30% to the Star City Casino, the devil himself. You can go to the casino if you want. I don't care. But don't judge me when you throw your money to the devil and destroy families. Pretty quiet here in this church. Who went to the casino last night? What I'm trying to say is someone was having a go at this big church and, and, and they said, oh, where's all the money go? I said, do you give to that church? Because no, he goes, well, when you start giving, you can ask. Otherwise, mind your own business. Because at the end of the day, Jesus walked with a treasurer. If you got no money, why do you need a treasurer? Judas was his money keeper, the treasurer. But if money owns you, you're in trouble. Doesn't matter how much you got. But if money is just a, another source of serving him, God will give it to you in abundance because it doesn't own you. The sharecropper here is doing exactly the same as the owner of the land. Let me, let me put it to you this way. We're in the body of Christ. Jesus is our Lord. God's our Father. He's all the blessings. We quote the scriptures. We are the head and not the tail. He give us, a, you know, according to his riches and glory. First seek the kingdom of God and all these things. We love the scriptures. And when he says, okay, can I have a dollar for this bloke? No, no, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. There's a little comedy. There's a Lebanese comedy. And he saw a bloke walking down the street. I can't help myself. Sorry, Janet. But walking down the street. And he says, oh, how are you? He starts kissing him. He goes, this man, he's like my brother. I'll give him my heart. You know, I'll cut out my kidneys and give it to him. I'll give him my lungs. I'll he went for about 10 minutes. I'll give him my eyes, my earlobes. I can take my brain out. And he goes, oh, thank you, thank you. And he went for 10 minutes. He goes, what can I do for you? He goes, can you lend me 50 bucks? Hey, 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 I didn't know. What do you talk about money? He goes, what do you mean? You just said you'll give me your heart, your lungs, your eyes. He goes, hey, hey, hey. And that's what we like to God sometimes. We love you, God. We'll do whatever you want. Don't touch my wallet. Now, this message isn't for you to give. It's to say money does not control you. Because the Bible says the root of all evil is the love of money. Not money, the love of it. And here, Jesus is saying, you're going to get tempted with all this stuff. And as a believer, when I come to God, I want God to be my provider. God has provided my needs every time I've needed, when I've sought after him. Not when I'm sorted after myself. Are you with me? Imagine someone came and asked you for a dollar. 
you know, a friend, and you gave it. And then he came back next week again, and you gave it. And after a while, you start thinking, hang on, is this guy just conning me? Or is he just really doing it tough? And sometimes we do that to God. Like, you owe me, God, because I've just done this for you, and I've done that for you. And we come to him as servants trying to obtain sonship when we are already sons and daughters, and we serve in the Father's house. Come on. Are you with me? If we don't get a picture of who we are in Christ, see, can I ask you a question? What did you do to go to heaven? What is the prerequisite of getting to heaven? Your good deeds? If you don't murder anyone, can you get to heaven? Is it how much money you gave to the poor? Is it, it's all based on what? The cross. I got a favor from God, unmerited favor because of the Jesus, what he did on the cross. I received that grace. Grace is unmerited favor. I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. I can't inherit it. I receive it by faith. Once I've received it by faith, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He died on the cross and took away my sin. Now I become a child of God because of what he did. So I am saved by grace and not by works. I'm healed by the wounds on his stripes. By his stripes, I am healed. I am delivered and set free because of what he did on the cross. In other words, his love for me is so big that he hung on a cross. And I still think I have to come to him with conditions. That's not a true son. It's like someone asking someone to marry him. A man proposes to his girlfriend. And she says, let me ask my parents. And she runs. And she comes back. My parents are so happy. I accept your proposal. He goes, but if I bring a few dollars and I make this and I get that, can, will you still love me? He goes, I asked you to marry me. It didn't come with conditions. And she goes and comes back and says, you know what? Oh, I can bring this to the marriage. I can bring that to the marriage. He goes, hang on. I didn't ask you to bring anything to the marriage. I love you now. How offended, would the, how offended would the groom be when he just asked her to marry her? I love you. And you keep coming back with conditions like, am I good enough for you? Do you want me to do my hair like this? Or do you want me to bring this into the... Uh, my dad can bring you three goats and a sheep and a cat, you know, whatever. How offended would the, would the groom be? Yet we do that to God every day. I just saw a picture as we're... I, I wouldn't call it anything other than just in my mind, but when you were singing... Mary, and that was a picture of the cross. And I just, it was weird. I just saw it then. It was like, this is how much he loved you. He come to this earth as a man. Yeah? He limited himself as a man. And what I saw the picture was amazing. It was like he got placed every burden that we carry, that we've committed, every sin that we ever did, every sin committed against us, all the sickness, all the disease, all the curses, everything. And I saw him, the crossbar of the cross was like a weightlifter. And he dropped to the ground. And it looked like a weightlifter. And then when he stood up, it became the cross. In other words, he carried our burdens, carried our sorrows. He, just, he broke every curse unimaginable. The Holy Spirit upon him, he let him carry our burdens and he laid it on the cross. God does not withhold nothing from you. He gave you his best. He gave you Jesus. Not the historical Jesus. Not the one... Standing on, hanging up on the wall, the true living Jesus. I am the, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this sharecropper analogy is shown to show you that you give and you receive and you do all these things and you're trying to prove yourself. And when it becomes about how much scripture you read or it becomes about how much you fast or how much you pray or how many services, you've lost the meaning of why you're doing that. 
that's all important. We are big on fasting and praying and reading the word and worship and fellowship. But it becomes a formula and you're ticking a box. You become a sharecropper. It's a valid type of faith. But all you're going to do is never, you'll never inherit the, the, the land. You'll never be part of the inheritance of what Jesus has for you. Is that making sense? That's for someone here and many people here. Because you're trying to obtain a love that he's already given you. There's nothing worse than trying to obtain love or trying to belong when you don't fit in. All these things. Most gang members will tell you that, especially young guys that get caught in the gang, I was listening to a story the other day or a while back now, and he says, my dad wouldn't give me the time of day, but these guys did, and I became like my dad. So I belonged, and I went down that road, and they used them and abused them till they got him into jail with drugs and everything. And he would turn around and say, but I, I felt like I belonged. And the church, the body of Christ, isn't meant, okay, how many here on a challenge, how many here has gone from one this side of the room to say hello to somebody else in this room that you don't know? How many people have gone out of their way to say hello to someone they don't know? Or to ask someone, how you're doing? People do do it, I'm just saying. Why? Is it because now some people's personalities are different? They're introverts. They don't do, I'm not having a go. I'm just saying that there's something about us belonging. Amen? You want to be better preachers? There's better preachers than us. You want to be bigger churches? There's bigger churches than us. People are more organized than us. Better music than us. Better singers than Mary. No, Mary's good, actually, yeah. Um, love you, Mary. But it's not about having better. It's about having the heart of the heartbeat of Jesus. Amen? about understanding all right lord i'm here i'm at work one day and i shared this story with you i'm working at a job one day and the lord put on my heart to talk to someone before and out later that he's suicidal and that night he was going to commit suicide that's working in the field and not resting resting on the rewards you know, i'm here to get, do the job and get paid and i need to no no, no. i'm serving the father i'm about the father's business i want to show you one thing where jesus was came to the Passover with Mary and Joseph. Remember he was 12 years old and they lost him? I often laugh at that scripture, Mary, you lost the son of God. Imagine going up, uh, God, um, I just lost your son. Yeah, it's a joke, I liked it. And Jesus says here, when they find him, three days to find him. So they're in a convoy, there's a lot of people, they went back to Jerusalem, and they celebrate the, um, I think it was the Passover at the time, and they left. And they go, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought he was with you. And I thought he was with you. And they ring up the cousins, uh, you know, text them on WhatsApp. Have you seen Jesus? No. So they go back three days. They go back to Jerusalem. And then they look everywhere for him, and they find him in the temple. And he says to them, he says, what are you looking for me for? Because Mary says to him, your father and I are beside ourselves. They go mad. Like, we've lost Jesus. What happened to him? And he's in the temple talking to the elders and they're freaking out. Who is this kid? Where did he get all this wisdom and knowledge from? And he says to them, why are you looking for me for? Don't you know I'm about my father's business? That's the guy in the field working. Not coming in to eat. He's coming in to serve the father. What was he, what was he serving him? If you understand what the field was, it wasn't a true field like at a farm. It was the sinner, the, the one that's brokenhearted, the one that's carrying burdens, the ones that don't know the love of God, the ones that are sitting in religion and getting bound like the widow. He came to free the widow. And we said this last week, he came to free the widow from being extorted. He came to free the widow that was hunched over for, for many, many years. 
He came to seek and save those who are lost. And then he'll sit at the right hand of the Father. He says, now you do likewise. Now when we come, there's a twofold question. How do you perceive God? How do you perceive God? How do you perceive him? Is he a hard taskmaster? Or is he just something out there? Or is he a loving father? See, until you see yourself that you belong in the father's house, until you see yourself you belong in the family of God, and you only get in through the blood of Jesus. You only get in. The Bible says he loves the whole world, but not the whole world is saved. They reject him. And some of you might struggle with the understanding of your identity in Christ. But I want you to keep pressing through. God hasn't got a label. He hasn't got like a list and a label. Tick this box and you fill this. Tick this and fill this. Tick. No, no, no. Come as you are. And the Holy Spirit will do the rest. Believe unto me. And you'll be saved. Does it make sense? I want to break that mindset that, you know, if you're coming here every week and you're more than welcome, but if you're coming here every week just to tick a box, don't come anymore. You're wasting your time. If you're coming here to desire to know him, to desire to know him, he'll change your life. I've seen that many miracles, man. I've seen that many miracles. And we're going to see more. And the miracle... And, and the, the supernatural, what God does, is awesome. He's ready to explode on this earth. But sometimes it becomes a show. It becomes, look what they're doing. Not about your heart. Why can't you pray for the sick? Why can't you help the poor? Why can't you help the widow? Why can't you bring someone to church? Why don't you come and feed someone? Why don't you drop a gift off to someone? That's, in the, it's, that's the kingdom of God. Do it without thinking. I might get something back. You know, you, you can tell where people are at when they want something in return. If God never gave me another thing again, I'm a happy man. But I know he's too good to do that. Never, there's never a motive in me to do something to get a brownie point for God. So look what I did, Lord. I'm an unprofitable servant. In other words, I'm not profiteering. I don't want a pat on the back. I don't want a reward for what I do. I do because he's done for me. And the final thing here, John chapter 16. I want to show you that it's not about what you do for him all the time. He will stretch your faith. He will tell you to give when you, shouldn't, when you don't want to give. He'll tell you to go out of your way when you don't want to get out of your way. He will stretch your faith. He will break the lack of poverty. You know, Pastor Cedar said to me, uh, he goes, well, the minute you get up in the morning and you feel like, oh, I've got bills to pay, go give something to someone. Break that snake's head so it doesn't entangle you and choke you. I've given more when I didn't have than when I have. Why? I don't want lack. I don't want the enemy to, to rob me of my blessing because my blessing is in him. He's my provider, amen? Come on, somebody. He's my provider. Not the government. They would strip you. We saw what they did two years. They stripped us of all our dignity in the name of safety, the lying. But they're not our provider. They're not our provider. God is our provider. Amen? John 16, 23 says, In that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily I say unto you, whatever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. You haven't asked me for anything now. But I want to give you permission to go to the Father directly in my name. Next verse. Until now you have asked me nothing in my name. Asking you shall receive and the joy may be full. Next verse. That's it, I think. 
Does that sound like you have to do something for it? Come on, speak to me. Does that sound like I have to do something for it? He says, ask. Why? Because you have authority now, because you're in me, you're in the family. He's your father. Ask, and you'll receive, and your joy will be full. Now, as a anything like anything, when you've got kids at home and they grow up, they don't have to do anything to feed them. But when they get older, now they've got some stewardship or some responsibility or some, you know what, maturity in their age group. If I'm still feed, spoon feeding AJ at 23, there's something wrong with me, not him. Is that true or not? But as he grows, they get more mature. Now you do something. And I'm blessed. I've got great sons, amen. I'm the most blessed human being in the world. They serve, they honor, and that why? Because I honor my father in heaven. If you want your kids to honor you, you start honoring God. You want your kids to be generous, you start giving to for generosity. You show them who they're meant to be. I can speak to the cows come home, but when you see it, when you see the heart of a person, you lead by example. True leaders is not what they say. You can get motivated by a true leader. I love, but true leaders go and act in it they they go before you and you follow their example that's why he said james you show me your faith and i'll show you my faith of my works you can say you got faith but i'm going to go demonstrate my faith that's true faith last romans 8 15. i want you just to understand this yeah kick him out security for you not have received the spirit of a bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption where we cry out, Abba, Father. Any bondage you're in is because of fear. And what does the Bible say? Perfect love. Come on, speak to me. Perfect love casts out all fear. You know, for years I didn't understand that. Fear has to do with torment. And the love of God is not perfected in you. So I thought to myself, the love of God is not perfected in me and this fear in me. And I think, oh, well, I'm not perfect. No, no, no. God's perfect love has not been established in me. Just like my little nephew, Roman, comes up to me. I grab him, I hold him. There's no fear in him coming to me. He doesn't know if I'm widow, he doesn't know if I'm drunk. He doesn't know if I'm going to have a smack you. He doesn't, but I've shown him love. And that perfect love casts out all fear. You see, if you don't know your father in heaven, you'll be fearful to get to him and come and sit on his lap. But if you know your Father in heaven, that perfect love. How do we know that perfect love? Jesus hung on a cross for you. And there's no fear in love, but perfect love that I'm willing to die for you. Cast out all fear. Can someone say amen? And he's not saying you can't come and sit and eat with me. He's saying when the kingdom comes, when Jesus went to the cross, guess what he said? On John 21, 12, he says, Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. Come and eat. Come and sit at the table of grace. If you're a part of the inheritance, a part of the family, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not in religion, religion will get you to start becoming a sharecropper. Religion will tell you, just work and, and you haven't got enough faith if you're going through hard times and all this. No, no, no. But if you're a son, you become and you dine with him. You'd be no longer a sharecropper, sharing in the harvest, sharing in the crop based on what you do. You eat off the table of grace freely because you're a child of God. Amen. Amen. Bow, bow your heads. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Father, that we leave here different. I pray, we, Father, that you've broken shackles of religion, shackles of bondage,
the shackles of pain and trauma, the shackles of unbelief. Father, you know every heart here. I don't. You know what people are struggling with. You know what people are addicted with. And you know what they need. And I pray, Father, that they understand their sonship. Their sonship not meaning just a male. It, sonship means a position in the family. That you have an inheritance in Christ. Jesus hated the religious system because it bound people. It put people under bondage. It robbed people. And you know what? It reflected on him because he, that was supposed to represent him. But we are a representative of Jesus. We're ambassadors of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the mercy of God at the finished work of the cross. Don't try and prove your love for God because it's a treadmill getting you nowhere. But put your faith and trust in him. Allow him to love you. The Father loves us. He sent his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That he who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't come into the world to condemn the world but to save it. If you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, it's a simple fact to put your faith and trust in him. Jesus said, whoever comes unto me, I'll never put to shame. He said, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. I ask Holy Spirit to have your way tonight. We lift up our hearts towards you, Lord. And I thank you. I thank you for our sonship. Thank you that we are part of a family. I thank you that your word is illuminated in our hearts. And we leave here never the same. I thank you, Lord, that you would teach us your ways. The best is yet to come, people. God is just ready to explode on this earth, but he wants a vessel to explode through. He wants us to be ready to contain the glory of the Lord. I thank you, Father. I give you all the praise. You get all the glory. You get all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, love you guys. Be blessed. Again, reminder for those who came late. We're not here next Sunday, but we're back. We're here Wednesday, but not next Sunday. And the following Sunday, rehearsals the 11th of December. Rehearsals for those who are in the play, and the play's on the 18th of December. Three o'clock next Sunday. 11. 11. Three o'clock on the 11th. Be blessed. Have a great, great week. Amen. Hallelujah.